Good morning, good morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning. An opportunity to be here in the Lord's house and to worship. Amen. We have a uh, couple of different announcements uh, that need to be made this morning. Um, we have a uh, trunk or treat coming up uh, on uh, Monday, October 31st. And as has been our tradition for the last uh, three or four years or so. Uh, and so if you're interested in, in helping out with that uh, ministry, and we, we have... Uh, always give out a tract with the, with the candy and uh, the opportunity for the young people in our town to hear the truth of God's word. And uh, so anyways, if uh, you're able to help out or whatever you could do or help with the uh, food, etc., cetera, um, talk to someone, my wife, <laughs> my granddaughter, just not me. <laughs> Uh, so anyways, that's, uh, we always, we've had, uh, oh, up to 150 kids plus, uh, family members in the past, so we really want to be able to do that, uh, do that well. Um, so be in, in prayerful consideration of that. Uh, let's see here, um, uh, Ian and Miranda will be on vacation this week, so, uh, be in prayer them as they're going to be traveling and uh, and this also is uh, uh, pastor appreciation month and uh, so often the the pastor and uh, uh, his wife as the case may be uh, do so much for us uh, in behind the scenes uh, in ways that we don't know about and and I do know about because I was a pastor's son for many years and uh, a lot of late nights and early mornings. And so uh, this is Pastor Appreciation Month. So um, if, you, uh, if you're able to, uh, maybe have them over for a meal or uh, whatever the Lord leads you to do, that would be, that would be uh, very much appreciated, I'm sure. Ian, come on up here for me, would you? And so I just wanna say thank you uh, Teen and Miranda, and for all that they do for us, and uh, and this is for you. Thank, Thank you, buddy. You. Thank you. They, uh, they appreciate all that they all that they do in their in their hard work. So they're going to be in uh, in uh, Washington, uh, traveling down to uh, Washington D.C. this week. So uh, be in prayer for them. Let's see. And Jane, you had an announcement? It's Operation Christmas Child time again, as you can see from our display. So if you didn't know about Operation Christmas Child, it's a ministry of Samaritan's Purse. It's led by Franklin Graham. Samaritan's Purse does its utmost to aid the world's sick, poor, and suffering, whereby answering the call 
in the story of the Good Samaritan to go and do likewise. Wherever there are wars, disease, or natural disasters, Samaritan's Purse is there. As teams work in crisis areas, people often ask, why do you come? And the answer is, we have come to help in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Since 1993, more than 198 million children and more than 170 countries and territories have received an Operation Christmas Child's shoebox. The project delivers not only the joy of what for many kids is their first gift ever, but it also gives them a tangible expression of God's love. The ministry is all about Jesus, first, last, and always. Do you want to partner with God and with Jesus in this great work? You can by packing a shoebox for a child. Shoebox basics. Find a box. You can use a shoebox like this. We have some cardboard boxes and plastic bo boxes. Uh, you can buy one, a, sh a plastic shoebox that is, but we have plenty of cardboard boxes here. So if you decide that you wanna wrap the box, that's fine, just wrap the cover separately. Um, make sure you get a label which designates the sex of the child and the age. Fill it with gifts. We're asking that you donate $10. It's gone up a little bit for shipping and processing. And you can deliver it to the church between November 14th and the 21st, the exact date to be determined. And then someone will take them to Belfast. There's one more very important thing. Can anyone tell me what that would be? Pray, prayer. Prayer is, you know, what bends the ear of Jesus and we have to use prayer before everything that we do. So don't forget that. Um, about filling your box, there's always gonna be a wow item, which means something that's really special, like a toy, stuffed animal, soccer ball, and a pump. We want school supplies, hygiene items, other toys and useful items. Um, about quality and why it matters. Um, quality doesn't mean expensive. It's, some items are meant for short-term use, like pencils and crayons, paints, but uh, some gifts become a lifelong keepsake. And one story shares a story about a man, Ives, who at age 11, he re received a scarf in a shoebox. Well, he lived in Togo, and that country is in Northwest Africa. At the time, Ives tried to trade his scarf for a soccer ball, soccer ball but he says, thanks to God, he didn't. He treasures that scarf, and it became a daily reminder of God's provision when he moved to Buffalo, New York, one of the <laughs> coldest cities in the US. He says, it's a promise that God knew my past and he knows my future, and that, and that um, he knows what I will need. Jesus is always a step ahead, waiting at the end of the line to keep me warm like a loving father does. Try to pack unique and personal gifts. Try to imagine what it would be like for a child to open that shoebox and see those items for the first time. For many, it's their very first gift. It's the only gift they're gonna see, receive for Operation Christmas Child, so make it count. Fill it up. The gifts become a tangible expression of God's immense love for the child. So um, the only empty space 
the, the only air in that box should be prayer. So stuff it full, save space, stuff socks within a cup, stuff, you know, something within a water bottle, just fill it up. And uh, remember to include a $10 donation. If you get it to, um, get it, we've got about a month, so be thinking about it and get it to the church. Um, these boxes are the first step in sharing the gospel message. It doesn't end with this box. Local churches and volunteers share the gospel with children through The Greatest Journey, which is a 12-week discipleship course designed for Operation Christmas Child Shoebox recipients. So the kids who participate, <clears throat> they learn how to follow Christ and share him with others, and as they do, entire families and communities <clears throat> are transformed by the power of the gospel and churches are started. Discipleship, evangelizing, and multiplying, thus fulfilling the Great Commission. And remember Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 4, 5 through 7, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Are there any questions? Most of you have participated before. We'll probably... Batteries are acceptable. Okay. You need them for flashlights and other things. Yeah. And we'll be reminding you as weeks go along and if, as questions come up, you can ask Donna or myself. We'll do our best to answer those questions. Anything else? Okay. Thank you. Oh, I just want to show you my box, please. My dance go box. Here's my label. Here's my box. Here's my wow item. Here's my hygiene item. I mean, I tried to pack it full. And Beth and I were at Walmart, and we found a lot of good things. But you guys are smart shoppers. You know where to go and get the stuff. So appreciate all your effort. Let's make an impact for Christ. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Any other announcements this morning? Uh, Ian had an announcement. Oh, yes. Um. Because Miranda and I will be gone this week, just a couple of changes in terms of weekly things that happen. No Thursday morning Bible study this week. Um, Thursday evening prayer meeting will not be at our home because we will not be there. Uh, the door will be locked. Uh, you, can, you can go to Donna Miller's house. So she's going to be hosting prayer meeting this Thursday evening. Um, and there will be no adult Sunday school next week. So kids Sunday school will be going on, but I won't be there to teach the adults class. So feel free to come and, and hang out, but I won't be there to teach the class. And I think that's it. All right, let's open this uh, morning's uh, service with a word of prayer. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given to us and the beautiful sunshine and the, the beauty of your creation. All that we see, all that we are is, is from you and as Jane had said that you know the beginning from the end and you know each one of us and our, the difficulties that we may be going through on a daily basis. But you're there holding our hand and we we thank you so much for that and that you are there no matter what. We thank you for how you've blessed each one of us. We thank you for the opportunity to be here 
to learn more about you, to learn more about what it is to be a follower of Christ. We pray that you would watch over our service and bless the words that are spoken, and that everything that we say and do would be honoring and glorifying to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. <clears throat> our scripture reading this morning will be found in Psalm 119, starting with verse 97. And if you look in the Pew Bible, it will be uh, page number 482. Psalm 119, starting with verse 97. <clears throat> oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word today. Amen. <clears throat> and if you would turn now with me to uh, hymn number 100 in the blue book, and let's stand and sing, Thou Art Worthy. And let's sing it through a couple of times. <laughs>
seated. I told E and I said I can't hit those higher notes this morning, so <clears throat> Amen. God is good. And now if you would uh, join us in the, in the uh, morning offering, and if you have any uh, uh, prayer requests, uh, there are the uh, prayer slips in the uh, front pew in front of you if you'd like to drop it in the offering plate as it goes by. Father, again, we thank you for how you've blessed each one of us in so many ways. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to give back a portion of what you've given to us. We pray that you take it and use it and multiply it for your kingdom purposes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And if you would remain standing, please, and turn to number 12 in your green book. Oh, Lord, my rock, and then we will go to uh, Psalm 46 right after that. Both found in your green book.
seated. Thank you. Good singing, church. That first one was a new one, but you caught on well. We'll keep working on it, Dean. All right. Uh, we're going to take some time uh, to go now to the Lord together in prayer. Uh, just by way of reminder, there's prayer cards in your pews. So if you want us to pray together over a prayer request, feel free to put this in the offering plate as it goes by. Or alternatively, raise your hand at this point, and I'm happy to, um, uh, to take any prayer requests, praises, thanksgivings. Aiden. Amen. Thank you, Aiden. Thank you for your prayers for Miranda and I and Nora as we travel. Darlene. Amen. So we'll pray for Darlene's husband. Russell is his name? Yeah. So we'll pray for him about um, he's going to have to have open heart surgery. They're not sure about the timing, so we'll pray God's blessing over you, you and your family. Donna. So I praise the Lord. Jamie and I had the opportunity to go to the uh, Billy Women's Center uh, Pregnancy Center uh, banquet on Thursday evening, and um, it was so well attended. Mm. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord for what he's doing at the Zoe Women's Center um, and, uh, and the banquet that Jane and Donna were able to attend down there. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Other praises, thanksgivings, Allison. Amen. Anything else? We'll pray for you, Allison. Allison's got a lot on her plate, and you've got tra you've got travels coming up. Okay, so we'll pray. Pray for Allison. Anything else? I did just want to mention this morning, because this is typically the way we'll, we pray together on, on Sunday mornings, but I was reading through James this week, and I was reminded of James's command in James 5, where he says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. When everything's falling apart. We go to the Lord, because he's our help. When everything's doing great we go to him because we recognize everything is from him and then um, he says in verse 14 is anyone among you sick let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the lord and so that's something that we haven't done as far as i know since i've been here but i just want to remind you that that it's actually a biblical command 
um, and that's something that the, the leadership of the church and I are more than happy to do. If, if you or a loved one is sick, or if you're going through something, and you just feel you want a kind of an extra blanket of prayer, feel free to write it on a prayer card, or just come up to me after the service. We'd be happy to, to pray over you after a service some Sunday morning. So I just want you to be aware that that's, we would, it wouldn't be a burden. That would be a, a, a joy, and we'd be glad to do that. Um, let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. Lord God, our heavenly King, our almighty God, our Father, we come to you this morning and we worship you and we give you thanks and we praise you for your glory, for all that you are. Lord Jesus, Son of the Father, Lord God, Lamb of the world, we come to you this morning and we ask that you'd have mercy on us. We acknowledge that you are seated at the right hand of the Father. We ask that you would hear our prayer. God, you alone are the Holy One. You alone are the Lord. You alone are Most High. Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in the glory of the Father, we praise you. Our Father and our God, as we come to you this morning, we acknowledge that to you in your sight all hearts are open, all desires are known, and that from you no secrets are hid. And so as we come into the light of your presence, we acknowledge and we lament our sins against you. We're sorry, Lord, for our transgressions and our sins. And we understand the reality of our sin and the reality of your holiness. And as we understand that, apart from you and your grace, the burden would be more than we could bear. And so as we acknowledge the reality of our sin, we throw ourselves on your mercy. We ask, Father, that you would have mercy upon us for the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ who died for our sins and was raised again for our resurrection. For his sake, we ask that you'd forgive us all that is past and that you would grant us day by day that we may forevermore serve and please you in newness of life, that we might honor and glorify your name with our lives. Let's take a moment to silently confess our sins to God. Hear the word of God to all who truly turn to him. 1 Timothy 1.15 The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 1 John 1 If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, 
but also for the sins of the whole world. We thank you and we praise you, Lord Jesus, for all that you've done for us, for the immense freedom and life you've given us in your name. We ask, Father, that as we go, go on and live the rest of our lives, that you'd make us grateful, and that out of grateful hearts, we would learn to love you more and more day by day, that out of thankfulness for all that you've given us and all that you've forgiven us, that we would learn to love your law, to walk in your ways, that we'd be more and more like Jesus every day of our lives. We come to you this morning, Father, with much to be thankful for. I praise you for the work that Zoe Women's Center is doing in Rockport and in the Midcoast area. I pray that you continue to protect their ministry as there's a lot of opposition to pregnancy resource centers as they advocate for life in this time. And so we pray, Lord, your protection over them. And we pray that you continue to prosper their work and their ministry. We praise you, Lord, that... Um, 13 abortion-minded women were able to go to that center and find resources to be able to support them and to be able to choose life for their children. We praise you for that, Lord. We acknowledge that's, a, that's your work that you've called uh, those people to, and we, we thank you for it, and we pray that you continue to bless and sustain it. We praise you, Lord, for the the beautiful fall weather we've been able to enjoy. In every new season, creation shouts your glory, your beauty. I praise you, Lord, for the, the absolute redness of the maple leaves I saw on the ground this morning. So beautiful. You lavish on us, Lord, so much more than we deserve. We thank you and praise you that Andrea is doing well. We, we ask that you'd watch over Allison as she cares for her, um, that you'd strengthen her day by day, particularly in the next month or so as she's got multiple trips and she's juggling a lot of things. So we pray, Lord, that you'd watch over her, you give her strength. We thank you for the, the servant's heart she has for her family, for this church, for you. And we pray, Lord, that you'd, um, you'd continue to grow in all of us that kind of servant's heart. Father, I pray for Corrine, um, who's Anita's sister. I pray for her health. I pray that you'd watch over her, that you'd be her physician. Um, and um, even more than bodily health, that you'd care for her soul. She'd trust in you, Lord Jesus. I pray with Aiden for the trip Miranda and I are taking, and Nora, and unborn baby soon to come. We pray that you watch over us, Lord, that you grant us safety and um, uh, rest you'd be with us we pray for Russell who's Darlene's husband we ask Lord uh, that you'd watch over that family we pray that you'd give the doctors wisdom as they plan an open heart surgery it's amazing what they're able to do we pray that you bless their hands and their plans we pray Father that you bring healing to Russell's body and we pray Lord as uh, even as his family is praying for the healing of his body we pray to for his heart and for that whole family lord that they would together look to you and find in jesus their their great hope in life and death 
And um, we pray your blessing generally over that family, Father, that you'd be at work. You'd watch over them. Thank you for Darlene and for Corbin, and pray that you bless them. Praise you, and I, I thank you, Lord, for, um, for the work of the food pantry and the people um, that were ministered to even yesterday, giving a, a can of soup, a loaf of bread in Jesus' name. I pray that you'd watch over them, and I, I pray especially for those who have asked for prayer. I pray for Debbie Moody and for Amber Thomas who have cancer. I pray that you'd watch over them, Lord. I pray that you'd bring them healing. I pray that they learn to trust in you. I pray for Hiram, who has health concerns. Please watch over him and calm his fears. I pray for, um, I think it's the Fogg family. I pray, Lord, that you'd help them with home repairs, that they'd be able to have um, warmth come, come winter right around the, co- the corner. Praise you, and I thank you, Lord, for the joy of being a part of uh, this church, the joy of being a part of your work, your kingdom work, you're doing here in liberty um lord i thank you for the grace you've shown me in bringing me here as pastor and the grace you've shown our family and surrounding us with such a loving church family Um, i ask lord that you'd continue to be at work here that your will would be done that your kingdom would come in liberty maine here on the hill as it is in heaven help us to grow in love for each other more and more day by day to care for one another, to support one another in times of difficulty, to exhort one another onto greater, uh, greater faithfulness and greater holiness, that you would be building us up into a spiritual house, a people for your own possession, that we would glorify you, Heavenly Father, in all that we do and all that we say. We pray that through the witness of this church, many in our families and our communities would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ who's changed our lives, who's brought us out of the pit and set us in the high place, who saved us from sin and death and into eternal life. We pray all these things in his precious name. Amen. Let's pray together as our Lord Jesus taught us to, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you would like to, uh, our last uh, song before the message is number 92. If you'd like to turn there with me, number 92, and we'll just sing the first verse of Oh, How I Love Jesus. Amen. 92.
sing the refrain again, just the voices. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. Amen. You may be seated. As you sit, you can turn with me to uh, Genesis chapter 20. Genesis chapter 20, and I believe that's page 13 in the Pew Bibles. Yes, it is. Genesis 20, page 13 in the Pew Bibles. And we're picking up again in this story of the life of Abraham. And by now we're getting to know him pretty well. We've been following him for a while. Um, hopefully, um, we will finish up with Abraham's part in the story of Genesis by the time we, we hit Advent um, in November. So the next couple of weeks, uh, Russ Cottonwar is going to be preaching next week because Miranda and I will be away. Then the next week will be, um, uh, that's the, the final well, I think it's the 30th. That's October 30th. So that's typically celebrated as Reformation Day. So I haven't decided what I'll preach, but it won't be in Genesis. It'll probably be in Romans or Galatians. Uh, and then we'll have three more weeks on Abraham, and then we'll be moving into the Christmas season. So time is, is going right along. Genesis 20, Abraham. We've gotten to know him. His life really is characterized by Two things. You can almost sum up the whole story of Abraham in terms of the promises of God and the faithfulness or unfaithfulness of Abraham. <laughs> so as we followed his story, we've got God who's given him great promises. Right? You remember that's how his story started, where God came to Abraham, and in this incredible move, God set apart one man and one family from the whole earth. Right? Genesis 12, he zooms in on Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make of you a great nation. And not only am I going to bless you, in you all the nations of the world shall be blessed. Right? So God begins this blessing program with Abraham. He says, Abraham, I'm going to take you and you have no idea what all is in store. But I'm going to take you, and I'm starting here, and through you, I'm going to bless the whole world. So watch out. I'm with you the rest of your days. Right, I'm going to watch over you. And, and he gives him all these great promises. And So that's Genesis 12, and then in Genesis 15, and then again in Genesis 17, God clarifies and and fleshes out just what these promises are going to look like and he solidifies them he reassures abraham again and again listen i'm with you i'm going to bless you i'm going to make of you a great nation abraham's got questions along the way why because he's old his wife's old he doesn't have any kids and that's a problem if you're going to be a great nation right because where's the nation it's just the two of us and we're a hundred um and so the story is of God's promises, and God makes great promises, and he's faithful to them again and again and again. He never let it, lets Abraham down, not once. 
And on the other side, you've got Abraham. And Abraham's story is of learning to trust God. He's learning. Now, some chapters, we've looked at Abraham. It's like, oh, man, this is a, God. This is a man of faith. He's finally getting it. And then other chapters we read and like, oh, Abraham, you're, you've forgotten. You've forgotten the faithfulness of God. Those of you who've been following the story all along will remember a story very soon after the first promises were given where Abraham and his family journeyed down to Egypt. And what happened in Egypt? Anyone remember? He runs into Pharaoh and He's scared of Pharaoh. He knows his wife is beautiful. He's afraid Pharaoh will kill him to take his wife. So he, he it's not quite an outright lie, but it's certainly a deception. Right? He says, she's my sister. Forgets to mention that she's also his wife. Right? She was his half-sister, also his wife. Pharaoh takes her into his uh, into his household, and this is a real problem, right? Because God has said he's going to give Abraham, make of Abraham and Sarah this great nation, this family. And so the whole thing's in jeopardy because Abraham is afraid, and he doesn't trust God, right? He's afraid that Pharaoh will get to him. And what Abraham should have understood was, God will take care of me, even in Egypt, Right? Pharaoh's got nothing on the Lord, and the Lord has put his hand on me in this amazing way. I have nothing to fear. Those of you who remember that story, um, won't be too surprised in Genesis 20. Because here Abraham's going to do very much the same thing in a different nation, with a different king, and there are some differences, and those are important for us to understand. But from the very beginning, we're going to be kind of scratching our heads and saying, Abraham, come on. We've done this before, right? This is a bad idea the first time, right? And you learned you could trust God the first time, right? And Abraham's a slow learner. And that's fortunate for us because we are too. And so stories like Abraham and stories like the Apostle Peter in the New Testament, and so many others in Scripture, it's, it's good for us to see that many of these people whom God used so powerfully did not have it all together. Right? It takes time. And so we're going to see the unfaithfulness of Abraham, but that's not the main idea here. The thread which weaves this all together is the faithfulness of God. And in this story of Abraham's faithlessness, and as we're going to see, Abimelech's surprising righteousness, we're going to kind of hold these two next to each other, we're going to see that in all of it, God is showing himself to be absolutely, unalterably faithful to his promises. I think that's the truth that God would have us understand from this passage this morning. God is unchangeably faithful to his promises. It's what Abraham didn't understand. It's what he should have understood. It's what we'll see as time goes on. He comes to understand very fully. 
God is unchangeably faithful to his promises. Let's read the passage together, and then we'll ask God's blessing over it. Genesis 20. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And he, journey, he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, She is my sister? And she herself said, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought, there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah, he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you, and before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing over your word this morning as we come to it. We know that we are weak and that we are needy. And we know that we have much to learn in learning to walk in faith. And so we ask this morning, Heavenly Father, that you would show us yourself, that you would show us your faithfulness, 
that you would teach us to walk by faith in you and not by sight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God is unchangeably faithful to his promises. We're going to see that both as a result of how God responds to Abraham in his unfaithfulness and in how God responds to Abimelech in his, what I will call righteousness, sort of surprising righteousness. Okay? So we'll start with Abraham. God shows his faithfulness in his response to Abraham's stubborn faithlessness. So at the beginning of the chapter, we're told that Abraham is journeying. Now he's moving to a different region. He's still within the promised land. He's within Canaan. But he's sojourning in Gerar. And this is sort of down where, this is sort of what will become the, the area of the Philistines, Philistia. And what does Abraham do? Well, he pulls out the old trick. She's my sister. And what happens, happens quite quickly. Verse 2, Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. So Abraham falls into this old pattern, and it's a fearful pattern, right? Abraham explains later his reasoning, because Abimelech asks, why did you do this? Um, this has caused a lot of confusion and heartache, and why did you do this thing? Verse 11, I did it because I thought there was no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me. And he's, Abraham's afraid for his life. Not so much for his wife. And so how does God respond? If God were the kind of God who changes his mind, if God were the kind of God who operates sometimes faithfully towards his people when they're faithful, but then unfaithfully towards his people when he, they're unfaithful, this would be the time when God would say, all right, Abraham, you've dug your own grave. Yeah. yeah, we've done this before. We've been through this. This is a bad idea. Now you're doing, this is the last straw. Is that what the Lord does? No. Verse 3, God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, imagine this happening to you, by the way, a dream in the night. Behold, you are a dead man from the Lord. You are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now, it seems like, based on what we read later at the end of the chapter, um, that Abimelech and his household had been sick for some time. That, like, as soon as Sarah came into the house, they'd been sick, and they didn't know at first what was going on here. Um, until Abimelech receives this vision, where the Lord says, you're a dead man. He'd afflicted them with a sickness that would eventually lead to Abimelech's death. He'd afflicted them with a sickness which had caused his, uh, the women in his household not to be able to conceive. You're a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. God proves faithful to Abraham and to his family even in Abraham's faithlessness. Why? Because he's faithful to his promises. 
God is unchangeably faithful to his promises. This is, this is like bedrock. This is granite. This is solid ground. God is unchangeably faithful to his promises. What promises had he made to Abraham? Well, he'd made a number. But most recently, he'd gotten real specific about who was going to conceive Abraham's son. Genesis 18, 13 and 14. The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. God's been very clear. He's bringing all these promises, right? Abraham, I'm going to bless you with so much, and I'm going to bless the whole world through you, and I'm going to funnel all of this through one son, and Sarah's going to bear him. And so the, all the weight of these promises, and then we would understand that ultimately these promises lead to Jesus, right? That's where this line goes. And so we would understand that, that all of this weight about God's plan for the salvation and blessing of the whole world is freighted on Sarah, and Abraham goes into Gerar and hands her over to Abimelech. And so... To some degree, we're back here saying like, oh no, it's all going to fall apart. This whole thing we've been so carefully setting up. And Abraham's been unfaithful. But God proves faithful to his promises, to Abraham, to Sarah. He's got a timetable. He's got a plan. Though it may have felt like the whole thing was in doubt on the precipice here in Gerar, the plan of God was never in doubt. God knew precisely what he was doing. And God had the power at every moment to deliver Sarah, to deliver Abraham. And that's exactly what he does, even despite Abraham's faithfulness, faithlessness. This should teach us a couple of things. First of all, this should teach us not to doubt God's faithfulness when we've been unfaithful. God's faithfulness to his promises is not contingent on your faithfulness or unfaithfulness. God will not be more faithful to you on the week where you've done pretty good and you haven't, haven't sinned in the ways you usually do. He's just as faithful to you on the week where you get real mad and you blow up at your spouse. Or fill in the blank, whatever it is that you're prone to do. He's just as faithful to, your, to his promises. And if you're in Christ, you are just as covered by the blood of Jesus. Because his faithfulness to you is not contingent on your faithfulness. It's contingent on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. He's faithful because he's faithful. I think we should also see how in this event Abraham's been faithless, right? He hasn't believed God. He hasn't believed the promises of God. And so he's acted in this foolish way, this fearful way. 
And so what God does in and through it is actually to prove to Abraham the very faithfulness which he should have trusted in the first place, right? As everything's falling apart because of Abraham's boneheaded plan, God comes through and shows Abraham like he has time and time and time and time and time again that God is faithful. And so we should understand that our faithfulness does not cause God's faithfulness. But the inverse, actually there is a relationship there that our understanding of God's faithfulness, our believing that God is faithful to his promises, our trusting in God actually is the ground and the foundation for any faithfulness we'll be, ever be able to muster up. Right? If Abraham had gone into Gerar believing totally the faithfulness of God, he could have walked into Gerar guns blazing, this is my beautiful wife, see how beautiful she is. Right? With no fear, knowing God has his hand upon me. God has my, his hand upon her. He has his hand upon my family. He will watch over us because he's promised it. There's a kind of a, there's a weight lifted. There's a freedom when we rest in the faithfulness of God. Now, of course, we're, we're living in a very different time in redemptive history than Abraham did. Like we don't, we're not dealing with the exact same promises that Abraham was, but, but we are called to trust in the faithfulness of God in the same way that Abraham was. So God's got this promise he's made to Abraham. Your descendants, I'm going to bless them and make a, a great nation, and your seed is going to bless the world. This is this, this promise, this family promise. And that as we, as Christians, looking back on this from thousands of years of perspective, we're able to watch and see how through the years God has fulfilled this promise to Abraham and ultimately in Jesus Christ. Paul, in Ephesians 1, speaks about the eternal plan of God. Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 3. The Apostle Paul here, teaching after the coming of Christ, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. There's a lot going on there. We don't have time to unpack all of it. It's a 
wonderful passage. But what I want us to see is that God's plan to redeem the world through Jesus Christ wasn't thrown together at the last minute. It's been God's plan to redeem and to bless the world through Jesus, son of Abraham, from before the foundations of the world. And this should be incredibly freeing to us. Should be incredibly freeing to us. What Abraham should have understood, what he didn't hear as he went down into Gerar, is that God's sovereign hand was upon them. And that God had plans and purposes which could not be shaken, which no king of Gerar, no pharaoh could ever change. And I want us to see that though we're not in Abraham's caravan traveling down into Gerar, we have been made, as we've talked about, sons of Abraham by faith through Jesus Christ. And that additionally, we've been made sons of God. This is what Paul says here in Ephesians. We've been adopted. We've been made God's children. And that if we have faith in Jesus Christ, if we're Christians, what we can understand is that God has, before the foundation of the world, set his hand upon us individually. You, who are a Christian, God has you in his hand. Jesus teaches this in John 10. John 10, verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. He's talking about you. He's talking about Christians. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You want a promise of God to grab hold of? How about that? If you're a Christian, that's true of you. And Jesus says truly today, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch you out of his hand. And this is just one of a series of promises in the New Testament along these lines. Philippians 1, verse 6, the Apostle Paul says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God has set his hand on you, and he's not going to change his mind. That's what Abraham should have understood, right? He's not going to change his mind now that we move a couple counties over to Gerar. I'm sure you're all familiar with Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his good purpose. These great promises of God are true of you today if you are in Christ. And that should be incredibly freeing. Incredibly freeing. That means you can walk with boldness the rest of your life. 
giving yourself over totally to the call of God. God, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. There's no place I can go where your hand won't have me. That means we can walk with boldness into Egypt. We can walk with boldness into Gerar. That means we can walk with boldness when God calls us to repentance that we think might kill us. That means we can walk with boldness when God calls us to do something that we wonder, I think this is way beyond me. That means Christians across the centuries have walked with boldness when upon their baptism they have been persecuted and beaten and killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. Because even through the grave, God's hand will hold us. There's a real freedom to knowing that Christ has you in his hand. And to circle this all the way back to Abraham, again, our faithlessness cannot touch God's faithfulness. But if we understand God's faithfulness, once we really start to believe it, that's what's going to enable all of our faithfulness to God. Any faithful obedience to God is going to come out of a trust in God that he is faithful, he can be trusted, he is good. God is unchangeably faithful to his promises. Where do we see this? First, in Abraham's faithlessness, and secondly, in Abimelech's surprising Righteousness. So let's look at Abimelech. This, is, this guy's an interesting fellow. His name means my father was a king. So apparently his father was a king. He's a king too. Abimelech. We're back in Genesis 20. So God comes to Abimelech in the night with this terrifying dream. In verse 4 we're told, Now Abimelech had not approached her, He'd taken Sarah into his household, but they had not consummated a marriage. And Abimelech defends himself. He says, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? It's interesting that should resonate in our minds with, with how Abraham pleaded for the cities of the valley, for Sodom. Will you kill the righteous with the wicked? He says, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? I, got, I had no idea. She herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Now we may say, well, I don't know, Abimelech. Do we really believe you? But apparently the Lord does. Verse 6, then God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you have done this. In the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Right Here's God's hand of faithfulness. He's protecting this, this line through Abraham and Sarah. But God validates Abimelech's innocence. Yeah, I, I know. I know you did this in the integrity of your heart and the innocence of your hands. 
Then in verse 7, God says, Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet. Put a little asterisk there. We're gonna, that's going to be important. He is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, and all who are yours. And we see that's, this is exactly what happens. Abimelech returns Sarah to Abraham with much apology, right? He, he's almost over the top about it. Um, he, he calls Abraham on it, right? He says, what, what have you done? What were you doing? Um, he seems incensed, right, that he could be sort of tricked into sinning in this grievous way. And we've heard Abraham's defense. And eventually Abimelech makes amends. Verse 14, he, he, verse 14, he took sheep and oxen and servants and gave them to Abraham. Right? He, he gives a bunch of stuff to Abraham. He's like, I'm so sorry. Here's a bunch of stuff. And Sarah, of course. And then he, he points around at the land. And not all kings, the people of Israel, run into do this. But Abimelech says, you go where you want to. You got your pick of the land. You graze your sheep in any of my pastures. You're welcome here. And then he, then he looks at Sarah. So first he says, Abraham, you can graze your stuff wherever. Then he looks at Sarah. And to Sarah he said, Behold, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Now this might as well be like two million dollars. This is like, this is, a, this is a lot. It's like two or three million dollars. I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you and before everyone you are vindicated. One of Abimelech's main concerns is to make sure that Sarah's innocence and purity is, is known. He's really careful to guard Sarah here in a way that Abraham wasn't really. And then Abraham prays to God and God heals Abimelech. God had put this plague upon Abimelech's house where Abimelech and his family were sick. And the, the thing that's, that we're told that sort of stands out is that they weren't, the women weren't able to have children. They were barren. Right? Abimelech had taken Sarah, who was going to be fertile with all the blessings of God, and so God takes away the fertility of, a, of Abimelech and his family. So, I think this is supposed to cause some dissonance in our minds. I think it's supposed to make us think. So many passages in scripture, where it's not just black and white necessarily. It's supposed to make us sit down and ponder and think through, like, what is going on here? Because Abimelech seems like a great guy. And Abraham comes across as kind of passive and weak and fearful. And yet, God brings the plagues upon Abimelech and actually makes Abimelech, he's speaking face-to-face -face to Abimelech, and he says, you have to go and ask Abraham to pray for you. Abraham's got to be the one who's to pray for you. Why is this? Abraham's kind of the fearful one in the corner. Abimelech's the righteous one. Why all this about making Abraham pray? 
And why is it that the plagues fall on Abimelech, not on Abraham? It's supposed to make us think. On what basis does God do this? Is he acting on the basis of Abimelech's righteousness? Or on the basis of Abraham's faithlessness? He's operating on the basis of his promises. That's what it's about. That's what it's always about. God is unchangeably faithful to his promises. And you'll remember all the way back in the beginning, Abraham didn't, under, didn't remember this, but God did. Genesis 12, verse 3, to Abraham, God says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in, all the fam- in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So when Abimelech has Abraham's wife, Abimelech is cursed. He's an upright guy. But he's messed with the chosen one of God. I think this comparison, Abimelech-Abraham, is supposed to make us think about this and supposed to make us realize it's not about Abraham's faithlessness. It's about the promise of God. God's faithfulness to his promises. I think there's a couple of implications that come out, come out of this. Abimelech's an interesting figure. He's not, as far as we know, a, a worshiper of God. Um, and yet he shows himself righteous in some sense. And yet he's not the one who's blessed here. Who receives the blessing of God? It's, it's the one who's a part of the promised people. And this speaks to something about the way God has worked and continues to work in all of history. It's something we talked about at the very beginning. That in God's master plan to save and to bless the world, he does it through particulars. He chooses his particular family of Abraham to become a particular nation from whom is going to come this one man, Jesus Christ, through whom all the world will be blessed. And what's the promise of God? Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. And there's a similar dynamic still at work now after the coming of the Messiah. God blesses the world on the basis of whether the world blesses Jesus Christ. To the degree to which you bow the knee to Jesus Christ is the degree to which God will bless people in the world, right? This is um, John 14, 6. I'm sure you all know this. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Anyone can come to the Father through Jesus, but only through Jesus, right? The invitation is broad. Anyone can come. Any people, any tribe, any nation, anyone, no matter where you've come from, no matter who you are, if you but come to Jesus, 
every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places can be yours through the blood of Jesus Christ. But if you reject the Son, you have rejected the Father. Abimelech was righteous in some ways, but actually in some ways through no fault of his own. He went sideways when it came to this chosen prophet of God, this chosen messenger of God. He ended up cursing Abraham, not blessing him, and so he got cursed. And so there's a, there's a category of people in the world who to our eyes, on some level, display the sort of uprightness that Abimelech does, right? These are the people in the PTA meetings and the people who um, are always upright in their dealings. These are the people who are kind and give to charitable causes. But the truth is we are not justified before God on the basis of any works we can work up. Because we're all sinners. Ultimately, it all falls flat. And the one thing that matters as sinners before a holy God is if we are under the promise of Jesus Christ. If we are in him. And so we ought not to fool ourselves into thinking that we or anyone can obtain the eternal blessing of God apart from Jesus Christ. And we need to understand this because it's what Scripture teaches. And if we don't understand it, we might be in danger of allowing people around us to go on their merry way, living righteous, on some level, lives like Abimelech in rebellion against God. And they are not under the protective cover of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, if we're going to love our neighbor as ourself, we need to be real about this distinction and to understand it's only in Jesus that we can be saved. So that we can welcome our neighbor, our friend, whoever they are, and say, come and welcome to Jesus Christ. There's eternal blessing, unending blessing, unchangeable faithfulness in Jesus, if you would but come, if you would but bow the knee, if you would but confess your sins to him, plead forgiveness, and have him as your king and as your Lord. And once you've come to Jesus, once you've come to know him and to know the Father through him, what peace in knowing that God is unchangeably faithful to his promises. It's always about the promises, and that's our solid ground. That's our bedrock through a storm, through whatever. Like, this is a rock that won't move. I was thinking yesterday, um, I got a call from my, uh, from my grandmother. We're going to visit her next weekend. And just the sound of her voice rung this as a note of nostalgia, but it's like her voice has always been the same. <laughs> right? It's like this, this woman has been a, a rock in my life. It's like she, she doesn't change. Maybe you have people like that. Um, 
In fact, as, as stable as some things in our lives are, ultimately everything will pass away. There is no ultimate stability in anything in this world. Only in the person of Jesus Christ. There is one thing which will not fall away, which will never fail. God is unchangeably faithful to his promises. Let's pray. Father, what other hope do we have than this? That you are faithful. And what hope we have that you are. That you've been faithful throughout the years to give Abraham and Sarah a son. And to give him descendants in generation after generation. And eventually to give to us the son of Abraham. The son of Eve. The son of God. Jesus Christ, our Messiah, our Savior. And Lord Jesus, what great hope you've given us that though we are sinners, though we were aliens and exiles, that we can be brought close through you. And that if we are in you, you have a hold on us and you will never let go. And what tremendous hope that gives us through the storms of life, that there is nothing that can shake this, that we are yours and that you are ours. Heavenly Father, teach us faith in your faithfulness. Prone to wander, Lord, we feel it like Abraham before us. We need to be taught your ways. We need to learn to trust. Teach us more and more day by day to trust. And we pray all these things through our precious Savior, Jesus. Amen. Praise God from whom I